0: We're wrapping up our series on growth. Uh, and we've spent four weeks on it. Um, based on this verse, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Here's our Here's been our theme verse of this series. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus, Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness, right? The goal is to walk, to be rooted, to be built up. In Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. So we talked about this idea of the pot, right? This, this holder in which the plant gets grown into, right? It's unique. You're unique. There's nobody in here, nobody online like you. When God made you, He broke the mold. You are literally one of a kind, according to scripture, fearfully, wonderfully made, right? Your uniqueness may have been Tarnished or trashed or abused or neglected or talked down to or dismissed by your parents, by somebody that you loved, by somebody that didn't like you. But the reality is you've been made unique. You've been made to the creative power of God creating you in your mother's womb. You are unique beyond measure. Somebody say Amen. The reality, though, is your uniqueness does not drive God's behavior. God does not act towards you because you're so cool or because you're so good looking. Because if God was going to pick people to support, it would be tall people, right? But God does it. God doesn't care if you're black or white. He doesn't care if you've got red hair or blonde hair or brown hair. He doesn't care if your hair is dark and your beard's white. Thank God he doesn't care, right? God doesn't care about your uniqueness when it comes to how he will act towards you we live in a world today that's built on this idea that the world should treat me based upon me based upon what i bring what i have to offer that's not how god acts and i don't know about you i'm grateful that god made me the way i am i am grateful that i am unique and i am grateful as many of you are that there's only one of me right i am very grateful But I am more grateful that God does not respond to me based on me. I am grateful that God's character drives his actions more than my actions drive his character. Somebody say amen. So when God says that he loves you, when God says that he loves you, when God says he'll never leave you or forsake you, aren't you grateful that that isn't based on how you act, that's based on who he is. Somebody say amen. That's how God treats you as a unique individual. He created you. He loves you. And in spite of you, his character is always consistent towards you, right? Then last, then, then the second week we talked about this idea of soil, right? If you're going to grow something, you got to have some soil, right? And the reality is scripture makes it clear that the soil that you and I bring to growth is our heart, our heart, right? It is the epicenter of your decision making, right? Your heart, right? The limbic part of your brain that moves emotions and moves will makes all the decisions of your life. And yet scripture says it is evil beyond comprehension. And so he says, guard your heart because your boundary maker needs boundaries. Because everybody sitting in this room and everybody watching online knows how stupid your heart can be. Anybody? We make some really dumb choices with our heart. So he says, you better guard that thing. You better guard that heart because it is from your heart flow these boundaries, these parameters of your life. Right? But it's where God will also do his most, will do his work. Listen, God isn't interested in fixing my hair. He's not interested in any of those. Listen, I I talked about my knee a few weeks ago. Listen, God doesn't care if I get my knee fixed. He let it get, he let it get broke. He should fix it. Right? Right? He doesn't care. But you know what God does care about? He cares about your heart because that's where all of his work will be done. Inside your heart. And then week three we talked about the seeds that get planted. You can't, you can have a great pot and you can have wonderful soil, but if you put no seeds into the soil, you're never growing anything. Amen? So you've got to have a seed. And the Bible is clear when it comes to the seed that God uses to do all of his work in your life. He does it through the word of God. The Bible said heaven and earth is going to pass away. But the word of God is going to remain and abide forever. It's the only thing that's going to last. When that white horse shows up and the armies of God face the armies of Satan. There will be a rider on a white horse and his name will be. Word of God, he will be the alpha and the mega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. He will be what remains forever. And guess what God does? He uses his word to change you and me from the inside out. You can't be growing if God's word is not a part of your life. And let me be clear, worship music is great. Somebody say amen. 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 Watching Christian music, watching Christian movies, sometimes good. Reading Christian books, great. None of it is the word of God. There's only one word of God. You cannot substitute anything for the word of God. You can't serve yourself into growing, right? You can't give yourself into growing. The way that God works is he works through his word in your heart. That's how it works. So if you're, listen, if you're not putting yourself in front of the word of God, if all you're doing Is serving a children's and manning a door or going on a mission trip. But the word of God is not being planted in your heart. You're not growing. Because the word is what God uses to penetrate and to divide and to convict and to grow. You need the word of God in your life. In the last week, Aaron talked about these trellises. Like when you you plant something and it begins to grow up out of the ground, sometimes you have to put a little stake in the ground beside this wobbly little plant. And you tie it off, right? Or you put a trellis in there. Look at me talk planting, right? You put a little trellis in, right? And the plant vine attaches itself to the trellis. Because why? It's what forms this thing that's going to grow. That's what abiding in Jesus is. When you come up, you better connect yourself to Jesus because he said, I'm the vine and you're the branch. And apart from me, you can do what? You can't do anything. Abide in me as I abide in you, he says. It is all That's the command there. Bearing fruit, it's a given. If you're connected to Jesus, it's gonna happen. The command for you and I that's in the imperative in the Greek is to abide in Jesus. That's how you and I take this little immature faith and we grow it into maturity. We tie this thing to a stake. We put a trellis into the ground and we grow and adhere to it. That is you staying connected to Jesus. Does that make sense to you? So let's talk about, as we wrap this thing up, let's talk about challenges. Challenges, right? Because it all sounds fairly simple, right? Go to Lowe's, get a pot, Buy some potting soil, throw some other little ingredients in the soil to make it good. Throw a couple of seeds in there, stick a stick in the ground, buy it, let it grow up, and boom, it's going to grow. Seems pretty simple, right? So, those of you that have accepted Jesus, let me hear you say amen. amen. Right? shouldn't be that complicated. God responds to you based upon who he is, not on who you are right? God's going to work in your heart. That word has gotten into your heart. Now, listen, you, you go to Tomoka Christian church. You're part of Tomoka Christian church online. A church that's got a multitude of opportunities for you to grow. It's just not that complicated. And yet my guess is for a vast majority of our people, growing is not something that they could say they're doing. My guess is lots of people would say they haven't grown. They don't know if they've grown. Because there are a couple challenges with this, right? There's a couple challenges involved in what this looks like. I want to point two of them out, right? There's a challenge below the ground, and there's a challenge above the ground. So let's talk about the first one. Challenge below the ground, right? Now I've got a bunch of scriptures. Um I'm not going to try to get through all of them just because there's too many, uh, but I do want you to know that they're online. You can go to the U Version Bible app, they're all right there. Uh just find a vent, and all of the notes from either Tuesday, Wednesday, or the weekend are always always on there. So let's read some scriptures. Matthew 13, right? 1 through 6. The same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him. He got into a boat and he sat in it. While the people stood on the shore, <clears throat> He tells them many things in parables, and he said this. A farmer goes out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came, and they ate it up. Some fell in the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, those plants were scorched. They withered because they had no root. Now you can read the same thing in Mark and you can read the same thing in Luke. I'm not going to read them. I listed them online so you could have them if you wanted them as a reference. So what does that mean? Right? What does it mean when the farmer goes out to sow? Here's what all this stuff means. Right? Jesus explains it. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 20. And here's what he says. He says, the one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places. So first of all, let's be clear. When you sow the word, how many of you have ever shared the word with somebody who did not receive it? Anybody? How many of you refused the word for a while before you received it? Right? The Bible says that when that seed gets sown, the bird that snatches it away is representative of the devil's work. Because he does not want the word to get into anyone's heart. So let's be clear. If you are raising a children that don't know Jesus, married to an individual that doesn't know Jesus, friends with people who don't know Jesus, dating or engaged to people that don't know Jesus, work with these people, enjoy drinks with these people, if you, if, if you try to give those people the word, The minute you give the word to their heart, you've engaged that individual in a spiritual battle. It's not as simple as, oh, I told them the truth and they didn't receive it. No, no, no. If Satan shows up to snatch that word, you just put your son in the crosshairs of a spiritual fight. Which means you better be prepared spiritually to fight for that person. Which means lots of prayer to God and lots of you talking to that person. Because it is not an easy thing. Listen, it seems simple, right? It seems simple, but it's not simple. The word of God activates spiritual warfare like you and I, I think sometimes forget. I remember when Ray and Debbie Dahl had the audacity at my 17 years of age to stop by my house and invite me to church. And the first time at 17, I'd ever heard the word of God. I was mad and I was mad for a year. Because I had no idea what was happening, but all I knew was I was angry for a year because the spiritual fight had been engaged. And they just kept loving me and kept giving me the word and loving me. They didn't give me their opinions. They shared their home. They shared their love. They did all of that. And a year later, I found faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, there are people you love and know that you, you just quote scripture to them. You just, you just beat them to death with it. Don't forget. They're in the middle of a spiritual fight. (coughs) They're going to need you to pray for them. They're going to need you to surround them. They're going to need to know that they're loved because they're going to be angry. I got people in my life right now that I call family, that I'm praying for, that don't know Jesus. And I can tell you the number one thing that happens with people who don't know Jesus when they start coming into contact with the word of God is they get angry. Start praying for those people. Start praying that they'll receive that word. But he says... Rocky soil is the one who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But what happens is since that thing has no root, that person's faith only lasts a short time. Because when trouble or persecution comes because of the what? Because of the word, they quickly fall away. So let's let's talk about how this works, right? Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 say this. For the word of God is living and what? So how many of you have received the word of God with joy? Let me hear you say amen. Amen. So what happens is when that word, the seed of God, is now planted in you, guess what it's doing? It's not laying dormant. It is alive and it is active. So here's what it's doing. The Bible says it's sharper than a double-edged sword while it's there. What's it doing? It penetrates the dividing of soul and spirit. Right, it it, it's it's dividing between what is what is temporal and what is eternal, right? One that is life here and what it is life there. It divides those things between human and spiritual. He says, and it does the dividing of joint and marrow. And guess what it's doing? The word of God, while it's penetrating and dividing, is also doing what? It what? Come on, everybody, say it. It what? It judges. We're not supposed to judge, but guess what the word of God's doing? It's judging the thoughts and the attitudes of your what? It's it's at work, man. It's at work. Listen, I love preaching, and here's the reason I love preaching, because of that verse right there. Because the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It will penetrate, right? It will divide soul and spirit, and it will judge the thoughts and the intents of every person's heart. What a blessing to be able to preach the word of God and to put that before me and to put that before you because before God ever allows me to preach, he judges the thoughts and intents of my heart, which is why I think people like Aaron sometimes get on stage and they anguish over stuff because listen, it's not an easy thing to do. But the word of God is in a person's life and it's it's trying to grow us. It's trying to do that because he goes on to say this in verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything, everything, everybody say everything. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Listen, the word of God is, it's not selective. It's in there looking at all your junk. It's pulled out every drawer, right? It's got under your bed. Because it's judging the thoughts and the intents of your heart. That's what the word of God does. But he says, here's the problem. The seed fell on soil, right, that had rocky places in it. And because the soil wasn't very deep when the word of God was received with joy, the second the sun hit that tiny little plant, that plant scorched and died. Why? Because it had no what? It had no root and it didn't have a root, not because the root didn't want to grow. It had no root because it had no place to grow. Why? Because there was rocks in the way. There were rocky places that kept the root from doing what it was naturally supposed to do. So what's that mean for you and me? It means we got a challenge below the ground. There are things in your heart and in my heart that are rocky soil. Because for so many people that aren't growing, this is where the rubber meets the road. Let me read some scripture to you. Let me read Psalm 26, verse 2. Everybody online, everybody in here, read this with me. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Why? Why does the psalmist write this? Because for the word of God to do its job, it's got to penetrate, it's got to be able to have roots. Because listen, the sun comes out, when the sun comes out, life gets hard. It gets tough. Listen, there is lots of sunshine in our world. There are evil things that are happening in our world today. One of my dearest friends came to my office today in brokenheartedness because one of his friends that he plays tennis with took his own life today. I ate lunch today with a 48-year-old 48, 48 man, a good friend of mine. Married for two years. Battling cancer for four and a half years. And struggling with the longevity of what life he has left when he is covered in cancer. And just on and on and on and on the stories go. And here's the thing. If the plant above ground that's living under a hundred degree heat. Won't survive if the thing underground isn't reaching as far as it can to get as much water as it can to you. To get as much nutrients as it can to you. You will simply wither and die. You got to have the root. What's the problem? The rock's in the way. There are things in your heart and in my heart that get in the way of the root growing. So the psalmist says, test me. Right. David said it this way in Psalm 51. He said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed finally rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity, he says. And then he says, create in me a what? A pure heart. That pure heart means a heart that is not defiled. A heart that isn't living with all of these rocks in the way. That it has something in it that allows a root to grow. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. How about Psalm 139 verse 19? The psalmist says this, if only you would slay the wicked. O God away from me. You bloodthirsty men, David, they speak of you God with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. David says, I do I not hate those who hate you. O Lord. And abhor those who rise up against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. When he gets done with all of that bravado, he says this to God: "God, search me, and know my what, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Listen, if the word of God's going to grow in you, your roots have got to grow down. And you cannot grow roots in your faith if your heart is blocked by a rock. It it won't happen." It's not possible for that to happen. You can want it as much, you can have as much joy as you want in knowing Jesus. But if your heart is full of bitterness, if your heart is full of pride, if your heart is full of anger, if your heart is full of greed, if your heart is full of lust, if your heart is full of envy, guess what's going to happen? Ain't no root growing because all it's going to do is bounce into that rock and it's never going to grow. That rock has got to be removed. So what scripture say? Psalm 32 says this, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David says this about some of these places in his heart that are rocks, that are sinful, right? Because what did Jesus say? Jesus said, for out of the heart comes what? Envy and greed and covetousness and adultery and all of that stuff comes from our heart. David says, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He said, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. There was a time where David kept his sin to himself. He didn't share it with God. He kept it to himself. And he said, when that happened, your hand, God, was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Selah. He goes on to say, then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I didn't cover up my iniquity because I said I'm going to confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You see, here's the thing about the fight below the ground. There are just some things in your heart that will prevent the word of God from ever growing a root in you. So when life is hard, you will survive. And when I mean survive, I mean survive your faith. 35 years of ministry and 42 years of walking with the Lord. And I can tell you this. I cannot tell you how many people received that I know that received the word of God with joy. But when the word of God went to work in their heart to remove the rocky places, they refused to let it happen. And life got hard. Life got hard. And their faith evaporated for some of you you've been stuck in the same place for the last decade or two and you've made the mistake of thinking you're okay and i don't mean okay in regard to salvation but i mean okay in regard to your faith in it growing because you don't miss church you still read your bible but you haven't grown an inch in a decade because there are things in your heart that god keeps telling you to remove and you refuse to do it it just won't happen and david says when that happens. There is a heaviness that God places upon an individual that saps the strength and the life from us. And it isn't until we confess those sins that God finally removes that. 3,500 people or more, 4,000 people or more call this church home. How many people do you figure... On a regular basis are living in an active sin. They refuse to confess to God and wonder why they can't grow and wonder why they can't find joy in the Lord and wonder why they can't do this because there's an active sin in their life. And listen, I don't need to tell you what the sins are. You already know what they are because the Holy Spirit went, I don't think that you should do that. And you went, I'm not dealing with that right now. I'm just too angry. I'm too mad. Right. I'm just too sad, I'm too greedy, I'm too bitter, I'm too full of lust, I'm full of, right, All you name whatever it is. The reality is that the fight below the ground to get those roots as deep, because listen, the deeper those roots grow, the more they find moisture, the more they find nutrients, and the better that plan is when life takes more out of you than it's giving you. We talked a few weeks ago on the weekend about learning to live in deficit. You can't learn to live in deficit as a Christian. That faith of yours won't live in a deficit unless the roots are really deep. And those of you that have lived any length of life and have raised kids and have gone through the hell of life for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know exactly what I'm talking about. How do you hold on to faith when life seems to take everything from you? How do you do it? You got to have a root. You've got to have something so deep that nobody can see. You've got to have something that connects to God in a way that nobody else knows. Because if you don't, you're not going to make it. Because listen, we can surround ourselves with people all the time. But you know what you won't eventually outrun? You won't eventually outrun the moments when you are God or simply alone. And how do you survive? How do you cling to hope when everything's been taken away? You got a root that is so deep, so deep, and so connected to life's resources that you can survive those seasons. That's why James said, you got to, you got to hang on. Blessed is the one who perseveres, right? The one who makes it to the end because that person will receive the crown of life. Because listen, trials are going to come. Amen. Everybody in here know that, everybody online know that, right? How do you stay faithful? How do you stay connected to Jesus? You gotta have a root. Right? The psalmist says this. I want to read Psalm thirty eight. Yeah, there you go. Oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. He says, For your arrows have pierced me and your hands have has come and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, God, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. This is David writing the psalm. He says, I'm feeble. I'm utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of my heart. All my longings lie open before you, God. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds and my neighbors stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. And then he goes on to say this in verse 17. For I am about to fall. My pain is ever with me. Anybody relate to that? Anybody relate to that emotion? He says my pain is ever. He says but I confess my iniquity. I'm troubled by my sin. He goes on to say, many are those who are, next verse, many are those who are my vig- vigorous enemies. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay, right, my good with evil slander me when I pursue what is good. O Lord, do not forsake me. Listen, here's what I know. There are things in my heart that are going to prevent that root from growing deep. And there are things in your heart that are going to prevent that root from growing deep. The word of God is alive and it's active. If you know Jesus, say amen. If you've heard the word and accepted its truth, say amen. Then the Bible says that seed, that word is alive and it's active and it's double and a sharper, double, it's sharper than a double edged sword and it is dividing soul and spirit and it is judging the intents and the thoughts of your heart. If it's not growing, it's because there's something in the way. And if there's something in the way, then it's sinful. And the only way to remove it is to confess it and to repent of it. You can talk about it and can ask people to pray for you about it. But until you repent of it and confess it to God, that's never, ever going away. And here's the thing. Preachers don't have to stand up in the pulpit like they used to in 1964 and list all of the long wrongs and the Bible says are sin. If you know God and the Holy Spirit lives in you, you know what's right and wrong. Somebody say amen. Preacher ain't got to tell you. The Holy Spirit's plenty capable of letting you know that's not the right thing to do. What you need to do is respond to that conviction through confession and repentance. So the root can grow deep. Because here's the thing. If the root doesn't grow deep, you're never going to survive it. Here's the last verse I want to read. James chapter 4 verse 8. Right? James chapter 4. James writes these words to you and me in regard to that fight. It's after the Psalm... 51 passage there. Here you go. James says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Listen, the way the root's going to grow is we've got to get rid of the rock. The rock's in the soil. The soil is your heart, which means there are hard places in your heart. There are places of pride and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. There are are places in your heart that are full of evil desires and lust and greed and covetous. Guess what? Can't grow until those are gone. Somebody say amen. Here's the second. Okay. I got three people. Everybody else with me? Now I'm beginning to wonder. I'm beginning to understand why Aaron was anguishing over you guys, right? Everybody good? All right. Very good. Last challenge. Here we go. How about that? I've only got two points, right? I've only got four minutes to cover this, so be quiet, okay? Second challenge. Second challenge, above above ground. I know that sounded weird. I told you you weren't talking enough and I told you to be quiet. I apologize, right? Second challenge is above the ground. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 13. He said in verse seven, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and they choked out the plants. Here's an explanation in Matthew 13, 22. He says it this way. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the individual who hears the word of God, right? Obviously received it because now we're above ground, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Here's what Mark adds, right? Mark adds this in Mark 4, 18 and 19. Still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Luke says it this way: Luke writes, "The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear the word, but as they go their way, they are choked by life 's worries, choked by life 's riches, and choked by life's pleasures. And everybody read this with me: They do not they don't mature. So here's what he says, you got to fight below the ground, which means you got work to do in your heart. And here's the thing, some of you right now listening online, some of you in here, you know what I'm talking about. Because God's word and God's spirit has been saying to you, this has got to go. This has got to go. And you know it. And here's what David said, there's only one way, only one way to relinquish the heaviness and the oppression of God. You're going to have to confess that sin and you're going to have to repent of that sin. Because there's no other way around it. But for those of you that are above ground and growing, listen, here's the challenge. Above the ground, there's all kinds of issues. Somebody say amen. Anybody in here or online ever worry? Anybody in here ever, ever concerned about wealth? And is anybody in here or online ever desirous of seeking pleasures for people? Right, Thank you for being honest right here. Appreciate that, right? We can all relate to that. And here's the danger. This is where most churches fail. This isn't where individuals mostly fail. This is where churches fail individuals. Because life above ground, life above ground leads to one thing as a plant. That is harvest. When you plant something, you... You want to harvest. When you plant it, you want to harvest. Somebody say amen. Amen. The last stage before the harvest is the plant above the ground working toward the harvest. And here's the only thing that'll ruin harvest. If something else up there beside you chokes out what you need to survive. Do you know how many people cannot be productive for God because they can't get over worry. I'm just worried sick. I'm just worried sick about this doctor's appointment. I'm worried sick. I'm just worried sick about my kids. I'm just worried sick about you feeling it. I'm worried sick about our country. And I'm worried sick about this election. And I'm worried sick. You just go on and on and on. Here's what the Bible says. Worry by its very definition, will divide. The word for 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 worry in Scripture is the idea of cutting something in half, dividing it. And you know what happens when it divides? It takes away its peace. That's what worry does. It isolates you from the thing that should make you whole and give you peace. And it's not a oh she's just a worrier. That's not acceptable. Do you just say it's okay to worry? She just worries. Listen, that's a sin. When you worry, you sin. And when you sin, you need to repent. And the reality is, if you're living in constant worry, constant worry, you can't be productive. It will choke out your ability to mature as a plant. And guess what? If it chokes you out, there ain't no fruit. You've reached the epicenter. You've reached the pinnacle of your growth. And listen, I'm not saying there's not things to worry about. Listen, I can give you scriptures. There's a bunch of them online on the app. You can read them, right? The the Bible's full of these scriptures, right? Whether it's Martha and Mary and Jesus saying to Martha, 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 right? You're worried about so many things, right? But Mary, she's not worried about anything. And she's doing the right thing. She's staying close to me. And guess what? I'm not taking that away from her. The reality is... Jesus, I'm going to read this one. Go to Matthew 6. Let's just read this one thing about Matthew 6. Here's what Jesus said. Therefore, I tell you, everybody online in here, say this with me. Do not... Do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. He says, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Right? Who of you by worrying, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life. Rhetorical. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor, nor do they spin. He says, yet I can tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today. Tomorrow thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So don't worry saying this. What am I going to eat or what am I going to drink or what am I going to wear? He says, for the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And we stop there. But he says this in verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about what? Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow is going to worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Listen, worry is a sin. And you know what worry is going to do? It's going to choke out your growth. It's going to choke out your harvest. So if you're a worrier, I don't need to tell you to stop it. God already told you to stop it. Right? Maybe the reason why you can't get to the next level of faith, the reason you can't do anything, is because you're worried sick. It's a sin. Right? It's a sin. How about this one? Wealth. He says this about wealth wealth is deceitful it 's not wrong it 's just deceitful i 'm going to read first Timothy sixteen to you or six to you it says this in verse seventeen command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so Uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command people who are rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming coming age so they may take hold of life that is truly life. Listen, I can read scripture after scripture about the deceitfulness of wealth. Listen, money isn't bad. God didn't say money was bad. He said, wealth is deceitful. Because when you have it, you think you need nothing else. And when you don't have it, you think it's the only thing you need. Right? That's why the psalmist or the proverb says, God, don't make me too rich because I'll forget you. But don't make me so poor, right, that I'll forget you. Right? Keep me somewhere in the middle. Right. Listen, the reality is wealth is deceitful. It will lure you away from what you're supposed to be doing. Listen, I know that money matters, right? We know that. Listen, I can't watch my Chicago Bears lose every week if I don't have money to pay for it, right? It's not going to happen. And I can't drink ice-cold McDonald's iced coffees for $2.14 if I don't have any money, And I know that because last week I showed up to buy one and when I went to the window, I'd forgotten my wallet. And guess what? They didn't give it to me even though I know I'm the customer of the year, right? They didn't do it. Because you know what? Money matters, yes? But here's the thing, money is deceitful. It's deceitful. And do you know how many Christian people who have a great root but have no harvest because the only thing they care about in this world is money? Money, money, money. The obtainment of wealth. i got to have it because they've been deceived. Listen, I don't have social media. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I'm constantly reminded when I get pictures sent to me from people in our church showing me other people who don't come to church anymore. And you want to know why? Because most of them have been deceived by wealth. Because you live in Florida and you got money. You can do a lot of things. And pictures are worth a thousand words. Listen, some of you right now, some of you online, the reason why you haven't matured in your faith and why you can't grow and why there's no harvest is simply because, is simply because you're deceived by the power of money, right? Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. Actually, I want you to skip that. Go all the way down to James 5, the last verse under wealth. Listen to what? Listen to James's picture of wealth. In James chapter 5, he's going to describe the pitifulness, right, of wealth. Nope, too far. The one right before that, James 5, 1 through 6, you should have it. Yes or no? If you, if you don't have it, don't worry about it. Bring up 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, right above it. Everybody say, David, you're doing a great job. David, a great job. Right? He's awesome. He's awesome. Can you imagine having his job and dealing with me and Aaron? Holy cow. Right? First Timothy six, right? Here's what Paul says. Godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Right? But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Right? Which is crazy in a world where they keep building more storage sheds, right? For our stuff. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and a diminished full into many foolish and harmful desires that what plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, he says, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then here's the last thing real quick. We got worries, we got wealth that's deceitful and we've got Pleasures and desires. Man, do you know how many people have left church because they just want to pursue their own desires? I mean, if I ask how many of you wandered away from your faith because there was a season where you wanted to pursue your own desires, many of you would say, yeah, I understand that. Let's know what Titus says. I want to read two verses here to close. Titus chapter 3 verses 3 through 8 says this about our struggle with desires. Titus 3, 3 through 8. He says, at one time, you and I were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of what? Passions, desires. Same word that keeps us from being fruitful, right? We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things I had done. Aaron talked at length about that last week, right? But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Somebody say amen. Right, And he did that so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, if you've trusted in God, say amen. Right, That you may be careful to devote yourselves to doing what's good because these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Listen, desires aren't going to get you home. That might get you happy for an hour. Sin is pleasurable for a season. But the pursuit of desires and pleasures, man, how many Christian people have fallen away. So I'm gonna ask you to stand. We're gonna read this last verse together. I think, I don't know, this is this is my second favorite passage in all of Scripture. I just love this passage. Paul summarizes it this way. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to who? All men. All men. That's why we tell everybody. That's why we go all over the world. That's why we ask for tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands not millions of dollars from people who go to church here. Why? Because grace that brought salvation has appeared to all men. And here's what the grace of God does. It teaches us. God's grace teaches us to say what? See, we think it's Hellfire and damnation that will convince you to stop saying no. No. It's when you have an exact picture of how good God's grace is that you'll learn how to say no. It says God's grace teaches us to say no to what? Ungodliness and worldly passions. Greek word for desires and pleasures. To live self control to live upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what's good. These things, he says, you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Somebody say amen. 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 So, Father, today, if there's anybody here that doesn't know the grace that you have given us, that brought salvation to them, Lord, may your spirit, conjunction with your word, work right now. You tell us that if we can believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead, that we can be saved. And so, Father, today, if there's anybody online, anybody here that's not made that confession, Lord, would you do that work in them right now? And for those online and in here, Father, that know you, have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, my prayer is that they would be rooted and built up. That they would walk in the same manner that they've received you. And that ultimately, Lord, that we would all grow to maturity. That you would be able to get a harvest from all of us. We're grateful for your grace that brought salvation to us. Help us to live in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you, church. We'll see you next week.